G'day, Darren Mitchell here. Welcome back to another brand new episode of the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. Another wonderful interview about to come your way. Last month, I had the privilege of speaking with Dr. Philip Squire, the CEO and co-founder of a great organization based in the UK by the name of Consalia. And we talked all about sales values and sales mindsets from the perspective of the customer. In today's episode, we go a little bit deeper and start talking about these constructs and these frameworks from the perspective of a sales leader and specifically how sales leaders can start to coach and develop their teams to embrace these particular mindsets and values to drive even better results for their customers and ultimately create sustainable results for their team. So buckle up, it's a fantastic conversation. If you'd like more information about Consalia, but also specifically about Dr. Philip Squire, please check out LinkedIn, but also refer to the show notes. So without further ado, let's get straight into the interview. Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales leader looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. Dr. Philip Squire, welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. How are you going, my friend? I'm going very well, Darren. Um, Very nice to be back. And actually, it hasn't been that long, I suppose, since we had the first session together. But uh, uh, it was uh, it was a very enjoyable interview and looking forward to this next one. So good to be back. (laughs) Thank you. And it's great to have you back. We um, we did talk about all things uh, Consalia, sales mindset and values from a customer perspective. But we did actually start the conversation last time talking about the ashes. And just before we press record now, <laughs> you were just uh, explaining how awesome your English captain Ben Stokes is cracking 182 in a one day game yeah. against New Zealand. So we're just yeah. talking about how, how talented um, that particular individual is. It's just Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, he is talented and uh, Josh Butler, who's the captain was, was talking in an interview this morning about, about the game and, um, and we connected, you know, cricket and the performance of the English team at the moment with mindsets. I think uh, that's how it sort of took us into this topic. Yeah. Joss Butler was actually saying the same, you know, that they have this approach where they want to take risk. And when you've got amazing players like Ben Stokes, who, who can hit 182 off, how many balls was it? 124 balls was that? You know, yeah. extraordinary performance. And uh, yeah, it is. Uh, you know, it's trying to create that sort of culture, I guess, where people can take risk yeah. and um, yeah, give people the space to do so. But I think that you know we're talking about perhaps more management and leadership today, but it's. Yeah. It's what kind of space do you want to create for your team to get the most out of it and I uh, out of the team performance? And I think that perhaps may cover a few of the topics we, we, we discussed today. Well, I think it might. And, and what's really interesting, because there's so many parallels you can draw from sport um, and cricket is yeah. but one of them. And we often hear, you know, coaches and, and experts talking about how some teams have lots of talented players within their teams, but what's the difference that makes all the difference? And it's often those talented players who have a mindset and a set of values that are aligned, but they also work yeah. really hard and they embrace a thing called failure. And one yeah. of the things that I was doing today, in fact, was um, I'm doing a leadership program for one of the biggest companies here in Australia. And we actually talked today about leading within systems. And part of that was embracing the concept of failure. And if I look at what the English cricket team have done over the last couple of years, they've actually gone away from playing risk-free cricket and now started to embrace whatever happens, Mm. happens, and they're starting to have fun, which means the mindset they must need to carry is it's almost not so much carefree, but they've removed any pressure that if they actually fail, that is get dismissed early or get hit for a couple of sixes, it's just part of the game and embrace it and yeah. keep moving forward with a positive outcome. And uh, it's just, I mean, I think there's something that we can learn from that 
not just as salespeople, but certainly as sales leaders, which I'd love to uh, love to delve into today. Mm, absolutely. No, I think this this whole notion of um, sort of the psychological safety, which Neda, mm. you probably spoke about on your your program and uh, creating that culture, um, is 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 a key element of it. So absolutely, yeah, absolutely. 100%. So I'm going to make an assumption here that there'll be some people listening to this right now who perhaps have not checked out the previous episode. And if you are listening to this, I do highly suggest you plug into the episode with Dr. Philip Squire, where we did talk about mindset and values, but from a customer's perspective. Uh, But for those who are right now listening, um, if you wouldn't mind just giving us a bit of a bit of a quick synopsis of Consalia and what it is that you do, because that will sort of set us up for the rest of the conversation. Uh, thank you. Yeah. So Consalia is a st- sales business school. Um, we're located in London. We have an office also in Singapore. Uh, and we're a joint venture between a Spanish and a, an Italian company as well. So we tend to find uh, ourselves working with quite a, a number of international clients in different uh, sort of geographies around the world. Um, so that's a little bit about the company. But I guess we we were talking the last time about about the research that I'd been doing um, through my through my doctorate, where I was interviewing customers about how they wanted to be sold to, and we defined these four differentiating positive mindsets, stroke values. We we use those words interchangeably uh, that customers really wanted and looked for in salespeople, and we also identified for negative mindsets that um, that they uh, often saw and uh, didn't want. Mm. Um, and yeah, we talked about authenticity and client centricity and proactive creativity and tactful audacity being the positive ones and the negative ones being uh, manipulation, supplier centricity, complacency and overt arrogance. So yeah, those were the kind of, just a very short synopsis. So, you know, many, many years work has gone into coming up with these constructs of mindsets. And yeah. uh, it's a topic I'm, of course, very passionate about. And I know that you work with a lot of organizations and you run your own podcast. And I've been listening to a number of those and seeing a lot of the snippets on on LinkedIn around that. And the good okay. thing about it is you've got such a great track record working with organizations where they've actually been able to deliver some significant wins uh, increasing market penetration and stuff like that by applying this, um, mm. I guess, methodology for want of a better term, to improving the way they're interacting with customers so that um, they can deliver better results, but also doing it from a customer-centric point of view. Yeah. So one yeah. of the things I'd love to delve into today, because as a sales leader, I know from personal experience, sometimes the pressure that we have upon ourselves, which by the way is placed on by the senior leaders, is right. is to hit a number. And sometimes it's hit the number at all costs. And one of the things that we were talking about today is that um, sometimes these senior leaders are not necessarily interested with the niceties. They just look at simply the scoreboard and you've either won or you haven't won. And Mm. it's, it's something that I think sales leaders have to learn to do a lot better in terms of how do we, how do we engage and create an environment where our salespeople uh, are spending more time focusing on what the customer needs, what the problem is, but doing it in a place where they can build trust and respect so they earn the right to sell to a customer. Um, and so I think one of the things that sales leaders need to do is learn how to coach these, how to actually create an environment where our salespeople have these top of mind. So I'd be really interested in in just at a, at a, at a high level, what are some key yeah. things that, um, based on your experience working with a number of organizations, what is now mm. top of mind for a lot of good sales leaders when it comes to implementing these positive these positive values, these positive mindsets? Do you mind if I step back just a little bit before Please. I sort of answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I think that um, I think that what you said earlier on is 100% correct. I mean, there's so much pressure on managers to hit targets and uh we we've we've actually seen um we've actually seen situations where where 
you know the the kind of culture if you like that's built inside an organization it's very short term it's quarterly driven and it's all about the numbers exactly as you as as you say um and i i think that the the starting point around coaching you know to the positive values is is of course really understanding and having a strong belief as a manager that they're important you know mm. if a manager themselves does not think about part of their job being to create a culture inside the organization based on a certain set of core values and principles i think that that manager just won't get started yeah on this this whole um transformation if you like of sales mindsets that we we've spoken about before um and i think that the challenge that managers have and i think they've got the most difficult job in the world because we see them having two roles one of their roles is to use the resources at their disposal to achieve the results of today that's one of their roles so that's your quarterly targets and and another role is to develop the resources in order to achieve the results of tomorrow Mm. And there's a contradiction, there's a conflict between those two, you know, those those two roles in our view, you know, that, and the conflict is one of time, you know, often, you know, there's very little time to focus on the second part of that, which is to yeah. develop um, the resources to achieve the results of tomorrow, that you find yourself in this sick, cyclical results orientated dialogue that you have. Um, based on achievement of short-term results. And the way they approach coaching and the way they approach uh, what they think is coaching is the kind of uh, quarterly business reviews that they have, which is, you know, how's the pipeline doing? You know, what's your commit targets? And um, what are we going to do to try and, you know, sort of close close the business for this quarter with, with, with no dialogue um, or very little dialogue, or very little coaching given to the underpinning values and mindsets that will drive the results in the first mm -hmm. instance. So, uh, but it's difficult. Sometimes the systems don't allow managers the space to be able to go and do this kind of thing. So, you know, when we start to work with clients, it's, uh, it's, um, you know, we approach this a little bit from a cultural perspective to begin with. And then, yeah, takes time to build and to reposition culture. But unless the culture's right, unless they unless they feel they've got a problem that needs some sort of transformational fix, I think mm -hmm. that they won't think about coaching to the values and mindsets because it, it takes time to change values and mindsets. You can't do it overnight. You need to have a long-term perspective. Um, so I, I would say that, you know, we quite often ask managers and may, maybe Darren, you do the same is, is um, ask the question, you know, what is your, you know, what is your personal vision? You know, what is, you know, how, how do you, how do you want to be seen as a manager, you know, by your team? Uh, what are your personal values and belief systems when it comes to sales management leadership? Mm. We often find that they don't really know, or that it's it's very you know, it's hitting quarterly targets or something like that. Um, so I think that the starting point is really getting managers to question what is their role, and them becoming perhaps informed about different levers they can pull, such as the mindsets and values that can help produce results. Uh, and if they've got that in the right place, then they can do, I think, amazing things, you know, with their with their team members in terms of coaching and how to yeah. coach to the mindset. Yeah. So, yeah, I didn't answer your question no, in no. the first because I think that this this concept of of culture and how you can build cultures within the framework of an organizational culture as a manager is uh, it's a great it's a it's a great area to reflect on and explore. I think for managers. It is, and it's a great. I'm glad you. I'm glad you mentioned that because as you were talking, I was writing down uh, two words, and they were conditional values. So I wonder how many sales leaders actually have conditional values that they kind of manipulate in their own head, 
to try and serve a purpose of hitting the number, but they don't actually sit down and think really deeply about why they are a sales leader in the first place, what's important to them, what they stand for as a leader, and therefore don't really have any um, value systems or belief systems that, that are based on authenticity that they can use then as a basis for coaching their team because yeah. it's always conditioned for, well, I've got to hit this quarterly target because if I don't, I'm going to have to explain yeah. why we're behind and then have to explain and come up with a program to close the gap. Yeah. Um, and I just wonder whether part of that is many sales leaders are almost thrust into the position because they've been a good individual contributor and they haven't necessarily thought consciously about making that leap to being a sales leader. So haven't really thought about what motivates them to be a leader in the first place. What are your thoughts on that? Well, 100% agree with what you said, <laughs> because, uh, you know, you hear so many stories about people coming into management and there's been no a sort of induction of any real thought. And of course, the skills and the mindsets that you need to be to be a great manager mm. um, are different to those for being a great salespeople. And I, I just share kind of an exercise that we did with 200 sales managers in Europe where we we kind of brought them together to examine this whole area about what mindsets do you think you need to have in order to be a great sales manager. And it, it was quite interesting. This study was done about 10 years ago, so it may not be quite up to date, but mm-hmm. it, it, it was certainly um, – it was certainly a really interesting exercise. And the outcome of this were, um, again, four mindsets that they identified that were important to be a great manager. One was vision, mm-hmm. uh, having a clear vision, having a clear purpose. And this is not corporate vision. This is personal vision. So yeah. this sort of, this, this is a very clear, you could call it conditional set of values that you need to have. You know, if you're a manager, you need to somehow translate the corporate vision into a vision of how you want to lead your team. Yeah. Yeah. So you can make that connection. Yeah. So vision, vision was was really important. You know, people are drawn to individuals who have a a purpose, a vision. Mm. Um, and so this was deemed to be a really important mindset of a manager sitting down, really thinking about, you know, how how do I want to lead a team? and perhaps getting input from your team members about how they want to be led in order you then create a vision. That's that's number one. The second is desire to be the best. And, and the desire to be the best is, of course, we're in a performance game. We want to yeah. win. You know, we want to win a game. We want to do the best. And, and this is all, this relates to standards of performance. So, so this desire to be the best, you know, to, you know, to take an underperforming team and make it the best, you know, this is this desire, this drive is was also deemed a really important attribute of great sales leaders. And these two mindsets are very much focused on the individual manager. The mm. next two mindsets were more focused on what the manager does with their people. And there were two mindsets that surfaced from this. One was about um, empowerment. And this was about not micromanagement. You know, this is about being able to create space, coming back to what you were saying earlier about psychological safety, but giving people the space to feel that your team members feel empowered so they don't Mm. feel you're looking over their shoulder every day, every week to see, you know, what's going on. You know, this sort of micromanagement that we often see in the behaviors of sales managers, um, Excel kind of management techniques and and so on um I believe and then the, still happens. Uh, yeah the, the 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 fourth one was potential and this okay. is this is actually having an ability to recognize potential in people um and you know finding that spark that capability that they've got and helping individuals either widen their capability or grow that capability because it might be that superpower that you actually need in that individual to hit performance. So, yeah, it was it was really quite interesting. And so to your point, that if you relate it back to what we were discussing earlier on, mm. that um, 
about sort of mindsets of a manager that if you've got a manager who's got a strong vision, got high standards in terms of performance, but also a a passion around empowerment and an ability and an interest, a curiosity in people to look for people's potential, those ingredients, I think, could set the manager up really well in terms of how they coach. They've got a vision. They've got standards. They recognize potential. They're curious in people. So some of those great coaching conversations, you know, can then then take place. Um, so that, that study was done 10 years ago. We, we, we have questioned whether in today's VUCA world, whether the mindsets have changed somewhat. For example, the ability to deal with ambiguity mm. and change might be a core mindset, you know, enjoying the unpredictability of life. So we have started to tinker with some of these mindsets to say, are they right? Are they fit for purpose in today's world? But yeah, yeah, I think they're not bad. That's not a bad starting point anyway. In terms well, of mindsets I think if we, yeah, if we talk about VUCA, um, I mean, to get to deal with volatility in today's marketplace, to deal with the ambiguity and the complexity that exists and, and certainly that comes with all that, you've got to have some sort of vision. You've got to, you've got to see yourself in a future that despite all the stuff that's happening, you can still find a path forward, which means you've got to have a desire to still be the best because otherwise why would you be doing it? And to do that, yeah. you can't do it alone. So you've got to be able to empower people and you've got to be able to give the benefit of the doubt to people and see the good in people and as you were talking through that, I'm thinking, well, that that would still stand true today. And I believe they yeah. would still make it easier. And I mean, easier is an interesting term to yeah. lend itself to creating an environment where those positive mindset and values in terms of yeah. um, authenticity, client centricity, et cetera, plays out. Yeah, correct. Because if you take things like um, proactive creativity, you know, as a as one of the values we spoke about. Um, if you do not have a mindset around empowerment, you are restricting a salesperson's ability to be creative, you know, yeah. because you're trying to box them in all the time. You know, you're stifling creativity. And perhaps tactful audacity won't surface because what we're trying to do with salespeople is encourage them to be bold. Mm. You know, to challenge customers, to you know, to be daring in approach, uh, all driven, you know, through client centric kind of information and knowledge. Yeah. But um, but if you've got this uh, this uh, empowerment mindset, then you are naturally going to be inclined to have a coaching approach, where you try and coach your your salespeople to kind of live those values. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Which, as, you, as you're saying that, I'm thinking, which if we take another step back, it means that we as organisations and senior leaders have to be really, really conscious on who we choose to place into a sales leadership position and don't just think, well, because Philip's been a great individual contributor, and he's achieved his target or overachieved his target five or six years in a row, he must be the next logical sales leader and let's put him in that, in that position. So senior leaders need to be really conscious of who do we want to have in the senior sales leaders positions so that they can start to create that environment where these values will become almost ingrained in everything that we do as an organization. Yeah. Yes. It's interesting. Um, yeah, it, it, it is interesting. And I, I think, there's a maybe a, a perception within the industry where salespeople feel the only way they can progress in a sales career is to go up through management. So, yeah. you know, part of it is that great salesperson maybe feels that, you know, I'm not really progressing unless I become a manager, yet they may not be suited to be a manager for the reasons we've just discussed, as well yeah. as management, perhaps recruiting your top salesperson perhaps for the wrong reasons mm. as well but um no i agree that the whole kind of selection process for how you recruit people into a management role is 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 crucial 
And it's um, it happens so many times that they naturally choose the top salespeople. You know, right, you're going to be a manager and you lose your top salesperson, which may not be a bright thing to do. Well, and they may not be good at managing. That's you know, it. That. That's yeah. it. And and I think this comes back to the criteria by which we choose these sales leaders. Yeah. Because if we yeah. are choosing from the pool of individual contributors, in order to be looked at, it they have to have a high level of performance to begin with. Otherwise, why would we be looking at them? So we're not going to yeah. put a salesperson who is uh, relentlessly mediocre in their achievement of targets <laughs> into a sales leadership position because we're thinking, well, their team is just going to end up being a reflection of them. So, yeah. It, and I just wonder how many organizations then miss out on good quality people that do have a personal vision, that do have the desire to be the best, but for whatever reason, they just not, are not suited to a salesperson's role, but they may well be suited to a sales leadership role if they have the right characteristics. But how many are we missing yeah. out on? Yeah. Well, I imagine there would be a quite a large number in that, you know, in that, right. in, in that, in that category. And it's, um, now we, but, but if, if the scenario is that if we are choosing from that pool of top salespeople and, and, uh, uh, and that's route we're going to go, then how would you approach the selection process? You know, sort of, how would you, so if if you are lucky enough to select between two or three people for the role of a sales manager from two or three of your top performing team members, um, then how would you then start to make the right selection choice? Mm. And, you know, if it's all about results and it's going to be a, a slightly one dimensional, uh, the, the, the way conversations may go, but understanding the philosophy and the personal vision and the values that drive people um, and and getting to that could help you make the selection process. Mm. Uh, so you're recruiting not only a great salesperson, but someone who's also going to be a great sales leader um, as well. But um, sort of values-based approach to interviewing. Um, and it's a, uh, I think it's a dilemma that many organizations face because I think we've been conditioned to bring people into a sales leadership role because there has to be a track record of sales. So for example, yeah. I haven't, I haven't seen too many sales leaders who have been, I guess, picked from in, from obscurity, right? Where they've been yeah. like a customer service type person, or they've been some sort of operational person that have just been sort of picked up from that role and placed into a sales leadership role, because there seems to be a fixation on, well, you must understand sales. You must have carried the bag. You must have actually hit targets. Um, you must have lived the experience of being a salesperson because if you haven't done that, then you couldn't possibly have the credibility that you need to be an effective sales leader. But that's just conditioning. If we yeah, get really granular on what the characteristics of a good sales leader is, it may well be that they don't need to have been the number one salesperson or they don't need to have overachieved their targets. But they might have some innate values-based qualities that we want to build on, and they could be in their genius zone, but not necessarily the salesperson. Because the other thing I've seen, and I'll be interested in your experience on this, is the number of salespeople who are promoted to a sales leadership role, who don't get the training and the transition plan, who start to disintermediate their salespeople because they can't give up the thrill of the hunt and the closer of the deal. Well, there's, yeah, absolutely. There's um, there's some quite interesting research that was done a number of years ago by C Corporate Executive Board and, uh, of course, taken over by Gartner, mm. uh, which uh, compared, you know, star managers to average managers. And um, one of the areas that they've identified um, is that star managers will be spending more of their time in early stage sales cycle and late stage sales cycle. But most managers, you know, perhaps for the reasons you've just given, because they want to close the sale, you know, they they tend to come in at the end of the conversation and and perhaps take over, you know, the um, you know, the deal, which is terribly deflating, you know, mm. for the salesperson who may have been working on it. 
But actually, from our research with customers, you know, customers can see it. You know, customers get really pissed off if I can use that term. Yeah, absolutely. They see when they see a manager coming in at sort of deal negotiation phase, and they, you know, they they hate it. You know, yeah. well, why why should the manager come in now? You, you've showed no client centricity. If, if if it was real client centricity, you might have been there, you know, at, at different engagement points throughout mm. the way this this deal cycle is, is is going. So, yeah, you could you can cause a lot of problems. Not mm. not just deflating your salesperson, but but your customer can get also skeptical about you know why is this guy coming in at this point as well. So there. There are many reasons why you really need to think carefully about what is the role of the manager in enabling your salespeople to close deals. Mm. At what points do they need to engage, of course, and then how do they coach their salespeople so that they can win more deals um, in a shorter space of time at a lower cost of sale, let's say. Absolutely. And my view on this is that the role of the sales leader is to edify the salesperson in the eyes of the customer, not be, I guess, the problem solver or the escalation point or the deal maker, yeah. because all that does is conditioning the customer to say, well, if there's a challenge, well, your account manager or your salesperson is not the one who has um, sign-off authority or decision-making rights, so therefore you have to come to me as the sales leader and I'll get things done. And that just points to a lack of credibility in the eyes of the of the customer yes. for the salesperson. So as a sales leader, one of the coaching points that I've always maintained is I've got to make sure that my salesperson is positioned in front of the customer as the go-to person. If there's any work that has to be done internally, then as the sales leader, I might do that because it might be I have to do some executive stuff internally, but the customer-facing stuff is always through that salesperson. So that from the customer's point of view, they see, well, the interaction with this organization is through my salesperson because they are, and I want them to be, the trusted advisor. So any coaching that I do with that is going to be making sure that that person knows that they are empowered to make decisions. I will help them with the internal stuff, but I'm not going to be the, the person that rides in mm. at the last in the last mile on the white horse with the big shield saying, hey, I'm here to save the day. Because that's just, yeah. just being a wanker, excuse the French. <laughs> so, uh, yes, and it's 100% backed up by the research we've done with customers as well. And there's a wonderful quote from one of the customers that comes to mind as you as you speak, which is, um, and I don't know if I mentioned this on the first episode, but I'll mention it now. He said, I, I want a salesperson, but I just don't want him pointing at me. I want him pointed back inside his own company. I want him to leverage my power and my weight back in his company so that I can get a better deal across all points of engagement. And, you know, this is this is a fantastic quote. So, and this plays to the point you've just mentioning, because if you bring in a sales director, yeah, with that person, that that mm customer has been coaching himself on how to work with him it completely destroys this um sense of you know leadership i guess in the account and and how he wants to be sold to by the the you know by the account manager and uh you know there'll always be this lingering doubt in the customer's mind yes i i'm dealing with my account manager but if he always has to go back to his manager for information, you know, what, what, you know, this comes back to empowerment, you know, how much leverage, more leverage can I get, say, on pricing or terms and conditions if yeah. I circumvent the account manager? And that, that really is not brilliant for building up the skills of the account manager. And you kind of destroy a little the credibility of your go to market with customers as well. Yeah. So, yeah, 100% agree with what you've been saying, Darren. Yeah. And it probably also points to a bit of, um, well, an impact on reputation of the organization as well. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I think that, um, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it will do. Uh, you know, it, it sort of shifts, it potentially shifts to a more transactional kind of relationship um, rather than, 
potentially more value-based relationship because mm. quite often when managers get involved, particularly towards the DLN, there's some sort of pricing negotiation that that's sort of going on. And, you know, the customer leaves it to the last minute of the quarter end, you know, to sign deals in order to try and drive the best prices, as we know, that's the game that, that they play. That doesn't happen, but... does it? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's just a, an interesting one. But I think coming back to the mindsets of the manager, if you've got a manager who's got yep, strong vision, really high standards, you know, desire to be the best, but empowerment of potential, they won't be adopting that yeah. kind of approach with a salesperson. Or if they do, it's just like you've said, you're here to not lead the sale process, but there to support the account manager and the customer, I guess, will benefit from how the manager might be able to leverage internal resources to help that account manager do the deal. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So before we jump in, because I love to talk about the how, because I know there'll be sales leaders listening to this and saying, well, doing a bit of a, I guess, a reconciliation. Yeah, I know. I know what I stand for. I've got a personal vision. I, I have a desire to be the best. I think I empower my team. And also... I can see the potential in my team, but how do I actually coach my team to live these mindsets or at least start the behaviors and the process of being more customer centric, to have the courage to be um, tactfully audacious, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so when you've got a sales leader who perhaps is a little bit sitting on the fence, um, I love your experience with this. How hard is it to actually get a sales leader to create an environment where they become more customer centric because their conditioning in their environment has always been supplier centric. And we yeah. see that all the time where customers uh, have to do business or want, or end up doing business with organizations. But on the surface, it appears that this organization is customer centric, but their behavior, their proposals, their after sales service demonstrates that they are supply centric so it, there needs to be a, almost a paradigm shift how do we how do we help it because there might be one sales leader amongst a group of sales leaders who gets it but they're yeah. fighting almost city hall yeah I, I think that's how we started actually because we're you know the when we started the journey the mindsets hadn't been created and you definitely need a manager um, who is perhaps a bit of a maverick and is prepared to, you know, they've got to they've got to see you necessarily see the correlation between values and mindsets and sales performance, and they they're not going to be interested in coaching. But let's take a scenario where a manager like is kind of sitting on the fence. They're kind of interested, but they're not quite sure how to do it. Yeah, they're not quite sure how to do it. And uh. One of the things that is a really good way to convince yourself that this is the right way to go is for those managers to talk to customers, first of all, about how how do the customer want to be engaged with. And I would be bowled over if in the process of getting feedback from customers, and you could do that through you picking up the phone and talking to them and saying, look, I'm sales director of this team. I'm really interested in building a vision for my team and a purpose about how we engage with customers. Do you mind if I ask you some questions, not about what we're selling, but how would you like us mm. to sell to you? What What mm. do you like? What don't you like? You know, and and uh, and that it's, so that's something they could do, or they could get Darren yourself to get involved in that kind of project, someone yeah. external to go and yeah. do those those kind of interviews and. There's nothing more powerful than customers talking about what's important to get buy-in. I've found it at a senior leadership level. Yeah. Um, because sometimes people say to us, actually, well, you did your doctorate in 2004 to 2009. You know, it's a long time ago. Things have changed. So we say, okay, fine. Let's go out and interview your customers. And guess what we find? The values <laughs> are still as relevant today as they was. But it's but it with is, a feather. Yeah, so, so that's the starting point. So let's now assume that you realize that these values can culturally make a big difference in the way your sales team performs, but your sales team are unaware of them. They don't know about them. 
and that um and that uh but you want to encourage them to live these values well um there are certain tools on our website which are free like the mindset survey you know mm. you can get people to self-assess themselves around the mindsets uh there's my book if i can plug that selling Absolutely. transformed as a means of educating people about the mindsets and there's a lot of proof points in there as well a lot of tools in the book as well that that could be used um so um there would need to be some sort of um awareness but where it becomes interesting is where you take these values that customers want and map them against the personal values of the people in the sales team and i i would be very surprised if if um a sales director started talking to the sales team about you know what are your values yeah, yeah. yeah. and they would probably people when asked this question out of the blue would kind of splutter a bit values i'm in what sales are <laughs> <laughs> what are they um but 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 um but what what you know what we do often is we take people on a journey of exploring what their their personal values are and how they've been shaped by their family and mm. and, and by their work and and other beliefs that they've got and then we correlate that to the values that customers want and we start to map the two together and can values change of course they can change you know we're not born with values we we develop them as time as time goes on yeah. so there needs to be some sort of awareness you know in the team about what the values are and and for it to go reasonably deep you know to and 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 to use this as defining what is the code of practice in terms of how we want to sell in our sales team we need to get that sort of team engagement so um but what we found is that when you share the stories about the mindsets and the proof points it's incredibly compelling and people get quite excited by it but then it's a question of well how do i do it can i do it <laughs> it's easy for someone you know like Phil or Darren to share this story. <laughs> yeah, but how do I do it? And yeah. you know, on a workshop we were doing this week, there was a there was someone on the workshop who said, when I first saw the mindsets and I looked at them, I was like, I completely buy it, buy into it. <clears throat> he said, but I'm not creative. I'm just not a creative person. That's not yeah. me. I'm not an artist. I'm not a musician. I'm not a, a sort of creative person. And I don't know if I can do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, so then it's a question of of being able to um, provide certain frameworks and thought processes that can encourage even those people who don't see themselves as being creative as creative. Um, and this can be done through something we call. You know, we refer to third box thinking, which is a way of thinking about your customer that will lead on to to kind of new ideas and concepts. And um, uh, but it's also recognizing that if you know that creativity is important and you're not creative, what can you do about that? Well, actually, you know, some interesting coaching questions and you get well, actually. Maybe there are others in the team who are quite creative. Maybe there are people that I can work with to describe a customer problem and use the creativity of a team to come up with ideas. So you don't necessarily have to be hugely creative. What you need to recognize, if if customers want creativity yeah. and ask to be proactive, maybe I can get a better result if I don't just do this on my own that maybe I do this with my manager. Maybe I do it with, you know, some of the peers. Yeah. And you can often get amazing ideas surfacing by bringing different people together. So, um, you know, I'm just sort of recounting something that happened this week because yeah. you're right. The mindsets look great, but then it's, well, how do I do it? Um, and the, the the tactful audacity is the same you know it's it's the same is that if i'm engaging you know if i'm looking at an account plan and i'm putting my account plan together 
actually this is this is quite a good source of being able to challenge yourself about to what extent does my account plan hit proactive creativity with the ideas and strategies I've got? To what extent does the account plan have anything in it that's any, you know, tapfully audacious? Now, is it client centric enough? Have I done enough work to really understand my customers? Yeah. So you've, you know, depending on the systems and tools that the managers are implementing, you can use the account planning process or a bid pursuit process and then start to map the mindsets and start to challenge yourself, you know, against to what extent does this opportunity plan meet these kind of values and what new ideas can we have maybe to improve uh, what we do? Um, I mean, it's quite a big subject, so I'm I'm not sure whether I'm covering no, no, it's 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 a great topic to talk about because as you were as you're talking and particularly the person who doesn't believe they're creative, right? Yeah. That's a belief. But who says they're not creative? Because what's their definition of creativity? What's the customer's definition of creativity? Is it out of the box thinking? Is yeah. it lateral thinking? Is it divergent thinking? Whatever the case might be. Because I believe, and this is my belief, that if somebody believes they are not creative then my belief in them, because I see their potential, is how do I help this person build creativity? How do I help them over a period of time build the muscle of creativity to the point where they start to learn and develop into that to the point where they become more creative? That's fantastic. Because yeah. it can be a learned behavior. Because it's not a case of, well, you're either creative or you're not. Because the belief that I have is everybody to some degree has a level of creativity, some more natural than others. But if a customer is looking for uh, proactive creativity, they want us to come up with new ideas. They want us to help create new frontiers for them and their business. Then I'll be doing them a disservice if I didn't start to learn how to do that. That's where I need coaching. That's where I need to tap into, as you said, I guess the collective intelligence or the IP of other people in the team which means as a leader, I need to be able to create an empowering environment where that's allowed, but it's also encouraged, which can make it challenging if you've got individuals who are measured on an individual target because they might turn around and say, hang on, what's in it for me, Phil? What do I get? Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the uh, the other word that we use sometimes when we talk about uh, proactive creativity is connected thinking so it may be that you don't have the greatest idea but you have an, an ability to be able to look at data and information from different sources or different people or different conversations or different customers and sort of connect what you've seen or observed in other situations uh, connecting different dots and bringing those dots together in order to create something that may be new. So yeah. you may not have come up with a great idea, but you are very good at being able to connect things together. And that in itself is a source of creativity. You may not be the one that's sort of painted the wonderful painting, but you've, you know, seen red, blue, white paint, whatever it might be, and you've you've seen the different connections in a story that together you could take to your customer and that in itself could be a source of creativity for them. Absolutely. Yeah. So that, that the way you synthesize information and data and reflect is, uh, is a, is a core thing to do as a salesperson, but the manager also can help through questioning and coaching actually encourage salespeople to, think differently yeah yeah i guess it's come back to also to what is the role of the manager because a lot of those salespeople who've done it one way and been successful are not going to want to approach their sales teams with that mindset this is how i did it you go and do it this way that's that's really not encouraging individuality of thought and it may be the wrong thing to do absolutely because who's to say the way that i've done it is the right way that's just one way it might have just yeah. worked for me, but who's to say that is the that is the only way? And yeah. if I if I fall into that trap, then when I become a sales leader, 
I might believe that this is the right way. And my idea of coaching is to basically tell my sales team to do it this way because it worked for me. Well, yeah. what worked for me may not necessarily work for you. Exactly. I need to think differently, which means I have to have um, a different level of thinking as a sales leader and remove any idea that my way is the only way and be more curious, which, by the way, means I have to see potential in other people. Yeah. So, Absolutely. This, sorry, go, sorry. Yeah. No, no. I was just thinking of um, just thinking of a story that one of our students was sharing about. You know, he was a very successful account manager, and then he got promoted into a sales management role, and he was joining our master's program, and um, and on the master's program, and he was doing a reasonable job actually as a manager with about seven direct reports, and it was in a field that he knew quite well. And they did do well, but then he was promoted again mm-hmm. within nine months to being a sales director with three or four line managers then reporting to him with a team that had been high high performing maybe five years ago, but now was one of the worst performing teams with people who were also much older than him more mm-hmm. experienced and so and and he sort of describes the journey that he went through trying to take this underperforming team of highly cynical salespeople who didn't see what this young whippersnapper could do <laughs> to help change things and it was very interesting seeing him develop his management approach he had to learn extremely quickly about this transition from being, you know, a super salesman into a super manager yeah. uh, because he only had nine months to make it work or else he would have been fired like his predecessor was fired wow. <laughs> after seven months. But it, it's, it, it's so different, the role of management to, to the role of sales. And, you know, I could talk more about this particular story and what, and what this individual did, but um, it plays into all the things we talked about, about coaching, about curiosity, about psychological safety, about building a vision. It played into all of those kind of spaces. And it, w- it was an amazing journey he took. And he's now the managing director of one of the Salesforce companies in Europe. You know, he's done incredibly well with his career. But you know, I often think of him in those early days talking about his struggle with what leadership was and what it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that that kind of reminds me of the situational leadership model where at some point you yeah, you, you might like to coach, but based on where your team's at in terms of their either their commitment or their level of competency. So if you've got yeah. the old stick in the muds that you've know, been around forever and they're stuck in doing things in a certain way, for those it may coaching may not be the approach. Because it's you, you might see the potential, but there's no real buy-in. We've Correct. got to be really direct with those people and uncompromising that say, you want to be part of this team, you want to be part of this business, these are the standards that you need to adhere to and get them to the point where I say, you know what, okay, it's my way or the highway because then you get them to a point where they're more open then to potentially receiving some information, maybe some coaching because we're starting to change their thinking. Well, yeah, that's not what he did actually in this case. I, it was a slightly different approach because he um, um, he realized these guys had a lot of experience. They they had a fixed mindset as opposed to a growth mindset. I think you know yeah. which was, we, we, and 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 so his challenge was how to take someone with a fixed mindset and make them switch to having a growth mindset. And he, he took the view, and there may be other ways of doing it, which is that he can't do that by being directive. He couldn't yeah. do it by by saying that this is this is what you need to do. And um, and so what he did was that he 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 had a 30, 60, 90 day plan. And in the in the first 30 days of his plan, he it was all about getting a sense check of where people were with their with their personal mindsets and using that the the output of that to then drive a vision and he wanted to connect them back to what they did well when they were the top performing team 
And he used a, 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 an approach called appreciative inquiry. I, I don't know if you've heard of that with um, Cooper Ryder, which is discover, dream, uh, design, develop. So discover 30 days ended up with dream. How do we get back to the things that we did all those? And he really got them to tap into what it was like. And as part of the dream, they want, they agreed that they wanted to get back to being the best performing team. And they all, almost all, I think 80% of them bought into it. And that, that, they, that journey actually enabled him then to get them at least into this growth mindset phase, um, which was a key part of his transformation strategy. So it wasn't directive. It was, you know, involving them in shaping what was what became a, 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 a vision that was co-created okay. with the team members. Yeah. Uh, it was very, very powerful. And um, they then moved into the design phase, which was the action plan. Okay, what are we going to do now to get to our dream goal? They wanted to be the team that everyone else in the company wanted to come and join. That's how they defined success. It wasn't hitting a quota. It wasn't a target. You know, targets were part of it, but it was doing something exciting. Yeah. Um, it was the pup, the why, you know, the the Simon Sinek why came yeah. through very strongly. And um, and it uh, and so they began to get noticed. They saw that other teams were beginning, something's happening over here. You know, what are these guys that the old they're walking around with their heads held up sort of higher. But this was recognizing this was empowerment and potential, you know, coming back to those mindsets we spoke yeah. about earlier on. And um, yeah, by the end of, you know, the the, the following year, because he took over in September, then the first last quarter of the year was a disaster for them. And then by the end of the following year, I think there were 30% over, over quota and really back on stream. And then of course he got promoted and someone else uh, sort of came in, but it was a very interesting journey of creating the right culture to allow him then to coach. Yeah. And then in coach a, around those key four, key a, the four key mindsets. Yeah. nice. And so with every deal that they were looking at, they came back to the mindsets. They looked at, you know, to what with the account plan, the opportunity plan, they came back to the mindset to kind of evaluate, are we doing enough, mm. you know, pushing the boundaries, you know, yeah. how can we do better? Um, yeah. But it, it's, it's recognizing, it's recognizing sometimes very small things, um small phrases small words that are used in a sales conversation can completely transform the outcome of the conversation and the manager who's in tune with the kind of conversations that are going on between salespeople and their their customers should be looking for those things that can transform a sales conversation and it could be around creativity or tactful audacity or just knowledge of the customer or whatever. It's it's difficult to be specific, but yeah. once you're aware of what the mindsets are, you can look at a phone call, a meeting. You can then start to evaluate, you know, were we authentic enough? You know, was our presentation just top and tailing a presentation we've done before with a new logo? You know, it's all of, you know, how can we, how can we, you know, break down the barriers. When we start the presentations, do we start with us or do we start with the customer? You know, down to client centricity. <laughs> yeah. When you we know, put our yeah, when we put our executive <laughs> summary in as part of a proposal, how many times do we mention our company versus the customer's company? <laughs> yeah, someone someone sent me a copy of it. Yeah, this is so funny. An exec uh, exec summary, and I think they were bidding for a big deal with Reuters at the time. Big deal, you know, hundred million plus deal it was. Yeah. And um, I looked at the exact summary, and I didn't work out who it was for. You know, it was so generic. Wow. And uh, and yeah, I'm I'm often staggered even with deals of that size that not enough care is taken to you know to get it right but if you were the manager looking at these the kind of proposal you you need you need to spot it unless yeah. you're aware unless you're fully on board with it 
you're not going to be able to coach to the mindsets. Exactly. So you need to be on board with the mindsets, which means coming back to what you said earlier, you've got to be as a leader clear on what your personal vision is, um, having a desire to be the best. Yeah. Being able to create an empowering environment and have the, have or see the potential in your team because it then makes it a lot easier. Now, the thing is we all know that in sales, we have to hit a target. Yeah. So, what would you say as we as we sort of wrap up? Um, it's been an hour already. You know that. <laughs> Sorry, these conversations always go so quickly, Darren. Because <laughs> um, we know that I mean the the number is the number. So, what do we say to sales leaders who say, "Well, that's all well and good, but I'm I'm paid on hitting a number, so I've got to hit my number." Um, what I believe is yes, the number's there. But we need to start looking at what are the behaviors, what are the attributes, what are the values and the mindsets we need to be measuring and having conversations on every single day that if we do that really well, the number will take care of itself. So to a sales leader who might be sitting there saying, well, I get measured on the number. This is all fantastic, Phil, but I've been working pretty well so far. <laughs> yeah. What what do we say to those to What those do you say? Leaders? Well, Okay, so this is then leading and lagging indicators and and all of that. But there was a okay. Let me just perhaps leave this with with one kind of thought: is that we had a manager on a program, you know, bought into the mindsets, and he took over. He had he was driving um, the business in the Middle East, and he was taking over an underperforming team. He went out saying, "I'm going to really transform it," and he was failing. And he was getting very little kind of acceptance of what he was doing. And and they didn't have any results. So if you don't have results, then you've got to look at what do I need to do to get results? So in a way, when things are going badly, that's when you look at what do I have to do to get things going well? So it kind of forces you in a way to look at the leading indicators. But he only had three questions that he asked. He said, I want to know... um, um, who are you talking to? What are you talking to people about? And what's the outcome? So that's that's what he said. So his first port of call was collecting data. So he got a lot of resistance. The sales team said, are you micromanaging me? You want to know? And he said, I'm only doing this because we've got to figure out how we can get the performance. So all I'm asking you to do is tell me, you know, each week, I want to know who have you seen in that week? You know, and that's, you know, what level were they? What did you talk about? And what was the outcome? And I'm going to coach you around those those items. I'm just going to coach you around it. This is, we're not going to talk about results. I'm not going to talk about pipeline. I'm only going to talk about those, those three or four things. And, you know, after all, the first week, you get some data. After the second week, you get some data. And after about three months, you begin to get a really good picture yeah, of what is it that the team is doing um, and is it working or not? Yeah. Um, nothing to do with um, results. And this completely changed the way they did quarterly business reviews and things like that. He said, I don't worry, I'm going to deal with my managers about the results side. But from you, my team, my direct reports, this is all I want to know. And they began to look at data in a different way. They began to look at um, at the correlation between the level of person you're selling to and a result. They began to look at if you brought someone in with you on a call at a certain stage in the sales cycle, you would have a better way of getting, you know, to a, a, a good result, a, you know, a higher result performance. So, you know, by the end of his first year, completely kind of transformed Um, the performance of his team. But he also had something, which is that for him, success was not him hitting a target, no matter whether one person hit the target and no one else did. His performance were that all of his team gets to the winner's circle. And he said, I don't feel as though I've done my job unless all one of you seven that he was managing at the time. Yeah. Um, is actually going to get. I think I failed you as a manager. So they they could tell he was passionate about this. He wanted them to be successful, but he asked in return, just tell me who you're saying, 
in what level were they at? What are you talking about? What's the outcome? That's all I want you to do. They did some simple Excel spreadsheets to collect this data because their CRM didn't allow him to do it at the time. And, you know, he then built an app around it, which was then used by the company globally. It was so successful. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, simple things done well, you know, can generate amazing results and really help you. If you haven't got data to coach to, yeah, you, you don't know how to coach. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's a... um. That's a great story to finish. That's a and it's oh, thank so you. simple. Who are you talking to? What are you talking about? And what is the outcome? That's those three things. Just yeah, it's so simple, but it can probably tell you a lot that you need to know. Yeah, I re- really, yeah, yeah, I found it can take it a lot. I love the simplicity of of what he did. Um, we actually got a we've got a video clip of that person talking about that story, which is on. Yeah, the Consalia website. Um, nice. I'll send you the link if you're yeah, interested. Great. Awesome. But uh, yeah, yeah, just a, a great, uh, great leader. Very inspiring. Fantastic. Love to have a look at that. Um, so, Philip, thank you so much. This has been a, another wonderful conversation. I'm glad thank we got down. to connect again, talking about sales leadership, in particular the, the, the customer values and mindset. And I think for me, it's a great, um, it's a great reminder of, as a sales leader in particular, you've got to have a vision, uh, a purpose. You've got to know why you're a sales leader uh, in the first place. You've got to have a desire to be the best because otherwise you're not just going to be there to make up the numbers. Yeah. But I think the two big ones for me really is, and it, I'm so glad that we've talked about these, is the empowerment and seeing potential in others. And, and when we can see that, it's going to make it a lot easier for us to then coach our team and our yeah. individuals within our team around those customer values and mindset so the authenticity client centricity proactive creativity and of course the tactful audacity and if we do that then my view and i'm sure you agree with this is that the numbers will take care of itself and we will be creating some very very Mm. sustainably successful sales teams so with that that's the idea Absolutely. So uh, again, absolute pleasure to have you back on the podcast, Philip. Um, and for those listening, if you haven't had a chance to check out Consalia, please check out the the show notes uh, and also highly encourage you to take the mindset survey as well. So um, Philip, any last parting words before we uh, before we end? No, I, of course we can talk about cricket. At the end. <laughs> <laughs> And we've got the World Cup, you know, starting uh, quite soon in India. So I'm sure Australia will be competing against England at some point. They're they're always the best matches. (laughs) Maybe in the final. Maybe in the final. Yeah. Well, I think we should maybe have a chat about about the results when we we next speak. Yeah. Thank you, Darren. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks, Philip. Enjoy the rest of your day, given it's uh, still early afternoon in England. So. uh, Bit late for you. We'll talk soon. (laughs) Cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar. Go to leadwithdarren.com. And let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.